0: I want to invite you, uh, please, to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, for the second part of our sermon, Shall We Neglect Our Salvation? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's pray first, and then we'll read together. Let's pray. Now, our Heavenly Father, we come again through your Son, praying that the Spirit would indeed help us in the reading and hearing of the Word. We pray that we would love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. May we, Lord, love your word, meditate upon it day and night. May these few verses, Lord, prove a great joy to our soul, great conviction. Give us strength and power by your Spirit. Give us aid and comfort. Make us, Lord, put our minds on things above. Help us, Lord, in all that we have need of. May each and every person here be blessed and dealt with according to your Spirit's power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 again. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we... If we neglect so great a salvation, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. Amen. Now, we are looking at these four verses in three parts. We didn't finish last week. First of all, verse one beware of drifting. Beware of drifting from the Lord. Number two, also from verse one, pay closer attention to what you've heard. Pay closer attention to what you've heard. And then, thirdly, verses two through four realize that you have greater revelation and responsibility. These are our three points for our uh, consideration today as well. Beware of drifting. Pay closer attention to what you've heard and realize that you have greater revelation as a Christian today and you thus have a greater responsibility as a Christian than they did in the Old Covenant uh, because God has given so much more to us. So last week we were talking about the admonition to beware of drifting away from Christ. We all have a tendency to move away from Christ, even as believers, because the Lord is not finished with our sanctification. We still have within us that inward war that goes on between the flesh, what Paul calls the flesh, which would be the the remaining corruption of sin within us, even though its dominion is broken, and the work of the Spirit. And so Paul, using the old King James language, says that the Spirit lusteth after the flesh, the flesh lusteth after the Spirit. That is, there is this conflict uh, within us uh, because we are not yet perfected in glory. And there is, even in the best of men, a human tendency, if we are not careful, to drift from the Lord. We saw this last week with Solomon. No man in his own day had as much wisdom as Solomon. No man, maybe possibly even until the time of Christ, had any individual had as much wisdom as King Solomon had. And yet Solomon did not finish well, but had created places of false worship prior to his death, to appease the idolatry of his wives, his foreign wives who served other gods. And so we created these places of worship. This led to tragic consequences for the church. So Solomon drifted. Uh, we saw Gideon, who brought about great victories uh, for God's people, drifted late in his life and made a golden ephod. We see that Israel as a nation drifted so that The ten northern tribes had to go into uh, captivity in 722 B.C. when the Assyrians took over the ten northern tribes. And then we see in 586, the southern tribes, Benjamin, where the temple was, and Judah, that's right around the vicinity uh, of of Benjamin, uh, were taken in 586 into captivity. David, a man after God's own heart, drifted from the Lord and committed a terrible Sin of adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, Demas, in the New Testament, drifted. Here is a man who was with the Apostle Paul and with Luke and others. Uh, he's mentioned in uh, Philemon chapter 1. Well, there's only one chapter. Philemon, verse 24, and uh, Galatians chapter, uh, excuse me, Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. And yet, by Second Timothy, he's gone. Paul says in chapter four, verse eleven, Demas, having loved this present world, has drifted away. Peter and Barnabas even began to drift from the gospel and its implications. We see when Paul had to confront uh, Peter and Barnabas because they were drawing back from the uh, because of the Judaizers, they were drawing back from Gentiles. In the book of Revelation, the church at Ephesus was drifting within the first century, because they had lost their first love. So this is a danger for us all. And we need to realize we can begin well and have zeal for the house of the Lord. But we need grace to continue over the years so that we do not compromise like Solomon, so that we do not drift away like Gideon, but rather that we finish well, that we say with the apostle Paul, I have finished the course. I have run the race. And there is yet laid up for me a crown of glory in heaven. We must run with endurance. We must run with perseverance. We must keep going. Any of you who have done long distance running, you know the difficulty that comes with running. (coughs) Running is hard, especially in long distances when you feel fatigued, when the weather isn't all that great. You didn't feel like running maybe when you got up that morning. And yet, what do you do? You, have to, you kind of have to work through it. You have to persevere through it. So it is with the Christian life. The Christian life is not always easy. The Christian life is not always uh, full of the nearness and presence of God. There are times and seasons of desertion. The Westminster divines tell us that. Uh, there, there are times of barrenness and dryness so that we do not rely on feeling but on God in His promises. Uh, we have to rely upon God when... There is a sense of absence of the Lord uh, that we, we have to persevere when the world is against us, when, when the world is frowning, when the world is persecuting us. Jesus has warned us about springing up quickly and withering under the sun because there's no deep roots. We have to beware that we don't sell our birthright like Esau, boys and girls. Esau was raised in a covenant home. Esau had all the blessings of a father and a grandfather who knew the Lord. And yet what Esau, just because of a temporary lust within him, was willing to give up his Christian heritage in order for one single and solitary meal. He was willing to sell out all that he had been raised up in in order to gratify his own inward lust. We have seen how nations have drifted. There have been cultures that have had a lot of the gospel in them. You remember the Puritans. You know, I, you do because I speak of them all the time. <laughs> they are my heroes, right? You have heard of the Covenanters. You have heard of those who uh, walked closely with the Lord. We have their books and we read their books several hundred years Later, we're still using their materials, so deep and rich, is it? And yet, uh, many of those people uh, inhabited Great Britain. Many of those people came to the shores of New England. And yet, look at Great Britain today. Look at the land of the Covenanters in Scotland today. Look at New England today. Hardly any churches at all. Church attendance is abysmal in these places. What's happened What's happened is the Spirit of God has left, that the church began to wane, and they, they drifted from the Lord, and the Lord has removed himself from them. And now some of the most secular places in the United States are places where the Puritans used to walk. Some of the most hostile universities to Christianity are universities that were founded by people who believed in the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible. Did you know when Harvard had made its seal originally, there there were three books, but one of them was closed because it meant that the secret things belonged to God. But now Harvard's opened all three books because they don't believe in God, not the living and true gods for sure. And in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, they have abandoned the gospel. And now uh, these places, these communities are all but devoid of anything that approximates sound doctrine that can sustain a soul, build character, and build a godly culture. And that is why our society is, uh, is collapsing. That's why we have huge swaths of our country that are so confused on the most basic issues of male and female today. This is why men are now competing. Biological men are now competing in women's sports. It's because they have been given over to a mind of reprobation. They have drifted away from God. They have drifted away from Jesus Christ. And therefore they are in a state of moral confusion. And they do not know their left hand from their right. They call good evil and evil good. They call evil. Right, wrong, and wrong, right. How did this drifting happen? It, it happens sometimes slowly and then suddenly. Uh, people begin to drift from the Lord in small ways, maybe imperceptibly, and then all of a sudden the Lord is gone from that community and that culture I hope that's not going to be the case here for LaGrange Georgia we are praying here if you're visiting we're praying that God would revive this community Uh, we're praying here now we got a lot of church buildings in LaGrange but I'm not sure that there's as much of Christ in LaGrange as there are church buildings we need more of Christ in this part of our state we need more of Christ in Georgia we need more of Christ in Atlanta our largest city we need Christ up in the mountains being preached. We need Christ down in South Georgia in the fields. But we are drifting. Uh, one commentator, Dr. Bob Godfrey, who was former president of Westminster West, he lives in California, boys and girls. California has become a very secular state now. Very secular. That is, they, they, the churches are few in comparison to the population at large. Now, there are some very good churches still in California, thank God. And there are some great churches in California. But by and large, the community uh, is drifting. And Bob Godfrey has said that when he comes now to the Deep South, he sees in the Deep South what he used to see uh, in California several decades ago. Churches closed on Sunday night now. That, 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 was, that was an early sign It's the canary in the coal mine when the lights go out on Sunday night and when the prayer meeting is mostly empty. That's a sign of drifting. That's a sign that there's not a hunger and a thirst for God and for righteousness, filling up our lives with other things. And the the Bible says we need to be warned about about this danger here. Uh, we, We must be warned about drifting from God. Secondly, the scripture says here that we must pay close attention to what we have heard. How do we keep from drifting? Well, we saw last week that the Westminster Shorter Catechism said that this in question 90, how is the word to be heard and read that it may become effectual to salvation, that the word may become effectual to salvation? We must attend thereto it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Diligence Preparation and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. What a great answer. And we broke that down. That the word of God, it it, it can be effectual, but it is not happening by osmosis. You can show up and the word not be effectual to your heart and your soul. And that's why you do have to be diligent. Psalm 95 said that the people heard the word, but it didn't profit them any. They died under the judgment of God in the wilderness because they did not take heart the things that they were taught. And Paul tells us that they had, listen to this, he says they had the same gospel preached to them. They had the same gospel in the wilderness. Yes, it was in types and shadows, but substantively it was the same message of salvation, of grace, through faith in Christ. They had this message preached to them in the wilderness and they didn't heed it. And they drifted from God and they died in the wilderness as a consequence of their unbelief because they wouldn't go and take the land. The land was filled with giants and they became afraid and they wouldn't do the work that God has called them to do. They said, we'd rather be in the wilderness. We don't want to go there. And they had little faith in trusting God to provide and they didn't fulfill the commission that was given to them. And we can do that today. If we don't listen closely to the word of God, what will be the result? We're not doing the great commission. We're not doing what God has called us to do to take the land for Christ. And that by land, I mean the whole earth. That's your commission. Your commission is to go into every tribe, tongue, and nation and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot be saying, whoa, there are giants in the land. There's a lot of secular people out there. You know, They might you know, uh, have a bad influence on me. Listen, you're supposed to be the influence on them. You're supposed to be exercising faith in ministering to them. So how do you do that? Well, you have to attend with diligence the word that is preached. That means you have to listen with care to the preaching of God's word. And it means that we have to prepare ourselves. Sometimes, as I said last week, that means Saturday night. Sometimes that means earlier, Sunday morning. You know, sing sing a hymn, sing a psalm, pray, read some scripture. And then as you sit and listen, you receive the word. You listen to the word with faith here. This is not just an intellectual Curiosity, you know, this is not a lecture on stars and bugs and things like that. We are here to have dealings with God. And God wants to have dealings with you through the preached word. And that means that you must come with faith, believing it is the word of God. You don't sit in judgment of God's word. You receive it as God's word. Insofar as the preaching is faithful to the scripture, it is, as the confession says, the very word of God. That means we receive it from God, as a message from God. The the, the shepherd speaks through his word, and the sheep know his voice. You're not here to critique, you're here to worship. OPC? OPC? We are we are sitting under the scriptures. This is not a hobby. This is our life. We are not here to entertain ourselves. Now the preaching better be entertaining in the best sense. There's a old I think he's since gone to be with the Lord because I think he was old in the 90s but he used to say now boys listen it's not a sin to be boring. Or no, he, excuse me, he said, boys, it's not a sin to be interesting. That's what he said. Not a sin to be interesting. It, it, it should be entertaining in the best sense. I don't mean that it's entertainment, but, but that it needs to come with a sense of, of power and urgency and, and that we receive it. And then that, that we have to receive it with love in our heart and practice it in our lives. It, it cannot be that we are hearers of the word and not doers of the word. Mary treasured the word. She pondered the word. She meditated upon it. The psalmist says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night. Now, having said all that, we come now to verses two through four. Because really, the argument in this section of the book of Hebrews is an argument from the lesser to the greater. What I mean by that is this. The author of Hebrews wants to make the case that we need to be careful how we listen and we need to pay attention very closely because you are under greater obligation than the children of Israel of old. The reason for that is very simple, what the Lord Jesus Christ said, that to whom much is given, much is required. And so what we find in verses 2, 3, and 4 is that the apostle here is making the case that if disobedience to the word had consequences, when the word was given to the people of God in the days of types and shadows, in the day of training wheels, on their little scooter, on their little bike, you who have been given greater revelation, more revelation, much more illuminated understanding of God and what He has done in Jesus Christ, you are all the more accountable to what you hear. And if God was willing to leave a generation in the wilderness and not bring them into the land because of their disobedience to the Scripture, He will leave you out of heaven. If you will not listen and do the Word of God, you have... A greater privilege, but that means you also have a greater responsibility than the children. There's a reason we call them the children of Israel. It's because the Bible says you're not children any longer, you're adults in Jesus Christ. God is not dealing with his people as little children anymore in the way that he did in the old covenant. You speak to a child as a little child, you speak to them very plainly, very simply. When they get older, you give them more complicated sentences to listen to. And, and God is dealing with us in the same way. He gave them in the Old Testament pictures of sheep that are dying on an altar. But he has given you now Jesus Christ and him crucified. You've been given much more. You see much more clearly. The, the child of Israel didn't fully understand everything that they saw at the temple. They knew enough to put their faith in God and his salvation through the Messiah. But they didn't have the full understanding you did. Listen, the people who wrote the Old Testament didn't have as much understanding as you have. This is why, you know, Jesus said that John the Baptist of the Old Testament prophets, he's the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. But he who is the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. The most simple Christian on this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with the Spirit of God dwelling richly within them knows more than John the Baptist fully understood. John the Baptist is sitting in prison saying, are you really the Messiah? John the Baptist was still of the Old Covenant. Yes, I realize you read about him in your New Testament, but he's not a New Testament prophet. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And so a, a Christian, a true new Christian is positionally in a superior position than John the Baptist. But that also means that you have more responsibility than John the Baptist. You have more responsibility because you've been given a lot more. So the argument is is this. If there are consequences for disobedience in the Old Testament for neglecting the word of God, then how much more if we should neglect so great a salvation? Look at verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable. Now remember, a lot of people were tempted to drift back to the old covenant because for some reason they thought that the humiliation of Christ was inferior to the superior revelation of the old covenant. They got it backwards. They thought, well, the old covenant had, you know, the the glory of God coming down Sinai and the angels and and such. And so surely that must have been better. Uh, But no. The author of Hebrews says, if the word given through angels in the Old Covenant proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So they... uh, heard the word, and yet they build a golden calf. And what happens? God sends a plague to them. God sends serpents into their midst. Uh, They intermarry, and they they start messing around uh, with the Canaanite gods. And, And the Lord brings a judgment in the camp. And this is in the Old Covenant. We, however, live in the substance of Christ. We live in the fullness of Jesus Christ. They saw more dimly. We see more clearly. Now, we don't see as fully as we will in glory, but we see with greater clarity the work of God in redemption in Jesus Christ than they did in the wilderness, than they did in the old covenant. Even Isaiah, who wrote of the suffering servant. You understand Isaiah 53 better than Isaiah understands 53 because you know how it's fulfilled. You know who that suffering servant is. Isaiah didn't know who it was. He didn't know his name was Jesus. He didn't know fully that he he would die on the Roman cross under the judgment of God as the wrath of God was poured out in fullness. He had glimpses of it. He knew that he was a substitutionary atoning figure. He understood that you know, through his sufferings and through his stripes, we would be healed. But in the way, in the fullness, he didn't understand it the way you understand it. You see, you've got to realize you're, you're reading Old Testament passages with new covenant eyes. They're reading Old Testament passages with old covenant eyes. So you have the privilege of seeing the fulfillment of, of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, in a way that David didn't fully understand. But this means you have to be all the more careful when you read Psalm 22. When you sing it, you have to be all the more careful when you read Isaiah chapter 53. You need to think about that more deeply than the children of Israel did in their day. You, you and I, we have to ask ourselves, is there anything I need to take more to heart from the preaching of God's word? Because I've been given so much from God. We need... I, We need to be taking all the more care. I need to listen more closely to preaching than I, I listen to almost anything else in my life. We need to ask ourselves, are there things in my life right now that hinder me from hearing the Scriptures as I ought? Remember, there are spiritual consequences, husbands, who do not love their wife. Remember, your prayers are being hindered husband if you're not loving your wife now I think I can make the application safely enough that if your prayers are being hindered by uh, not loving your wife how much more is your hearing hindered by not loving your wife Uh, we have to ask ourselves are we trying to get the most out of each Sunday service that we can am I listening well uh, to the word of God Or do I have a a bad attitude in my family? Do I have a bad attitude that needs to be checked about my parents, about life in general, young people? That can hinder your hearing. Is there anything in my life that I need to start changing today so that I don't drift away from God, that I get more out of the Scriptures? You know, there have been times in my life where a sermon has made all the difference in my life. It was just that word for that moment in that season of my life and I felt like a new man when I came away from the preached word. Um, You never know. This is why you shouldn't miss church too because you never know when the Spirit of God is really going to show up. Now He's always with us but sometimes it pleases God to bring extra blessings than other times and you may miss. You know, If you skip church uh, you may miss out. There were times, even in the Great Awakening, and it concerned Edwards, there were people who were untouched by the Great Awakening. They were there, they saw, they heard, but it wasn't moving them. They were becoming increasingly gospel-proof, Edwards said. He he was worried that the more people saw the evidences of Great Awakening and didn't participate in it in their soul themselves, that they were becoming increasingly gospel-proof. Is there anything that I I need to pay closer attention to in my life so that the preaching uh, does not prove vain? Um, Am I treating religion like a hobby in my life rather than the very essence of of my life? Well, listen to what, again, our text says here in verse 3. It says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Now, what does this mean? Well, for, first it says, how shall we escape? It means here that it's, the answer is to be understood negatively here. We won't escape. If the people of God did not escape, the judgment of God by neglecting the word of God, we will not escape if we neglect... So great a salvation after it was first spoken through the Lord. I think that refers here to the things of Jesus. That is in Jesus' earthly ministry, which were recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the the kingdom of God was first, first preached by Christ himself. But notice there, then he says, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. The word came by way of Christ in his earthly ministry and then through the apostles of Christ in Jesus' heavenly ministry. And so I think verse 3 here has both in view. The earthly preaching of Christ and the heavenly preaching of Christ through the Spirit and through the apostles. Remember that the, the apostles are called the foundation of the church. And so an apostolic church is a church that heeds the apostles and their teaching and their doctrine. Now, the miracles of Jesus and the miracles of the apostles, note here, confirmed, I think that's what he's saying here, it was confirmed to us by who heard, uh, verse 4, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that the author of Hebrews is saying here, this word is so great that the reason God did miracles is in the life of Jesus and through the apostles, was to what? Testified to the power and the veracity, that is the truthfulness, of the word that was preached. We need to understand, because some churches get it wrong, they think that the important thing is the miracles. And they think that unless we have miracles going on, that God is not there at work. They're misunderstanding this verse here, these two verses here. The point that the author of Hebrews is saying is not that we need more manifestations of signs and wonders and miracles. It's that we need more of the word that was testified to by signs, miracles, and wonders. You see that? It's not the miracles that we need. One time I I was in London. I visited uh, London when I was a college student and I went to a, an Anglican church. It was an evangelical Anglican church. And the priest was preaching, and he said that uh, we're not going to get into the Middle East unless there is a, uh, a reestablishment of signs and wonders, he said. He, he said that, that he felt that was the only way to break through the Muslims. And, and I think that's a misunderstanding here. That the the word is is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the word of God that is needed in the Middle East with the blessing of the Spirit. It's not the miracles that accompanied the word in the apostolic generation. It's the word. The miracles were to testify that this too is Scripture. This too is the ministry of the Spirit at, at work in the preaching that's what's been left to the church is the word, and that's which we, that is what we carry into the Middle East. And by, under the blessing of the Spirit, that is what will bring about new life. That will bring about new churches in the Middle East. And that is the way that, uh, you know, that Muhammad is going to get overthrown in the Middle East. Islam is going to get dislodged one day. Now, if you don't believe that, well, then you need to go back and check your foundations about the word of God. Islam is going to lose. The highway is going to be built from Assyria to Jerusalem. The Egyptians are going to say with the Jews, let's go and worship the Lord in Zion. Check your scriptures on this. And so what is needed is is the outpouring of the Spirit of God and the preached word. That is what is needed to dislodge the false prophet of Muhammad. And it's going to take place not just in the Middle East, but under the blessing of God in many places in the world. The the word is going to leaven. It is going to have a leavening effect. Now, it may take many centuries. I mean, look how, you know, it's taken 2,000 years to get essentially, to where we are today. And there are many cultures out there that are just beginning to hear the Scriptures. You know, how long has China had the Scriptures? Only a couple hundred years or so. Um, And and so there there is a, a lot of progress still to be made, and it may take a lot of time. But God will see to it that He brings about all His elect from the four corners of the earth. Every tribe and tongue and nation will be standing before the Lord. Now, let me make some applications, more applications to this. Now, this one may seem like a weird application because you don't hear this term, but you do experience it. It's out there in the culture. So I'll first give it its theological term and then its sense. That is, beware of Marcionite theology. Marcionite, M-A-R-C-I-O-N-I-T-E, theology. Marcionite theology. Now you say, Pastor, I've never heard of Marcionite theology. And that's okay, but you have heard it. Okay, you may not have heard of it, but you have heard it. It's out there. And it goes like this. Marcion was a, an opponent of Augustine in the uh, third and fourth century. And Marcion used to say that the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is a God of love. The God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. So you may not have heard of Marcion. You may not have heard of Marcionite theology, but you have heard something along those lines that, well, I believe in the God of love. I believe in the God uh, of the New Testament. I'm no, I, I don't follow that God of wrath. Uh, you may have heard something like that. Well, listen, what the author of Hebrews is saying in this text <clears throat> is that God is immutable and that the God who revealed His Word in type and shadows in the Old Testament and held them accountable for that Word and judged them for their disobedience to that Word, He's the same God in the New Testament. God isn't softening His standard. One iota. Not a jot or a tittle is going to pass away, we are told, from the law, Jesus. This is out of the mouth of Jesus. Not a law, not a jot or tittle passes away from the law of God. So the, the standard of righteousness hasn't changed. One bit, one iota. And if God would, was willing to punish for disobedience to what they heard in the Old Testament, how much more in the New Testament? So don't fall into this trap that I can live a licentious life I, because I'm good, because I've been forgiven of my sins, and therefore I can do whatever I want. I don't have to listen to what that preacher says. I don't have to follow the, what Paul says about um, adultery or fornication. I can live sexually the way I want to live. There are a lot of people living like that. There are some evangelicals, quote-unquote, living like that that, that, that this is okay uh, to live in fornication. And, and because God has sent Jesus, and the, Jesus is a, is a God of love, and he wouldn't condemn, condemn me for that. Well, you better think again, because the God who drowned Pharaoh at the Red Sea and brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and cursed Balaam, he's the God of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. He's the God who, you know, had them die in church because of their, their lying to the Spirit of God. He's the God of Acts chapter 13 when Paul pronounced a curse on uh, Bar Jesus or a guy named Elimus uh, because he was trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And he said, you know, you're going to be blind. And a mist covered his eyes and he was blind. This is the God of Romans 9, 13. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. Um, Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 and 19, verse 15 as well, speaks about the plagues and the judgments that will be upon those who add to the word of God. Revelation 20, verse 15, speaks about God throwing people into the lake of fire. Jesus himself said that it was better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and thrown into the deepest sea than to cause one of God's people to stumble or to sin. Have y'all been to the corner of Main Street and Broom Street? Uh, The Troop Archive building is there, uh, East Broom Street and Main Street there. Look what's on the corner. It's a big millstone. It's a millstone that they used to use here in Troop County. A millstone is a giant wheel, basically, boys and girls, and, a, and a, some kind of donkey or mule or ox would go around and uh, he would pull this wheel around and around, and you'd throw the grain under the wheel, and it would crush the grain. And So next time you see that millstone, think about the words of Jesus Christ. It is better for that piece of equipment to be tied to your neck and you be thrown in West Point Lake than for you to cause God's children to sin. I remember hearing that from a friend of mine. We were talking about the accountability that some of these professors who were causing people who grew up as evangelical Christians and later were causing them to question their faith or abandon their faith, what judgment awaits those professors? How many, how many souls did they help to damn with their liberal theology? How many, how many students lost their way um, because the instrumentality of those who were teaching them false doctrines Beware of neglecting the gospel. We'll close with this. First of all, beware of wandering away from the centrality of Jesus Christ and the centrality of the cross of Christ in your life. The church at Ephesus, as I said earlier, was warned of losing their first love. We must regularly examine ourselves and to say, do I love Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, no matter what may come? Do I love Jesus Christ more than my family? Do I love Jesus Christ more than all the riches of the world? Do I love Jesus Christ more than myself? Beware of wandering away from the centrality of the beauty and the person of Jesus Christ. Make him lovely in your sight. Dwell on him as a lover would dwell upon their betrothal. Dwell upon Jesus Christ as your first love, as your greatest joy, as your treasure for whom you are willing to sell everything in order to obtain him. Do not neglect what you have heard. Jesus Christ has been set before your eyes as one who is altogether lovely as the Son of God. He has been preached in this church as God of God, not as a mere man, not as a mere teacher, not as some peripatetic philosopher wandering around giving you a few nuggets. He is the Son of God God clothed in human flesh, both God and man who lived a perfect, holy, sinless, righteous life in order to die as a substitute for sinners. That is the real Jesus Christ and all other Jesuses are false. Any other Jesus that makes him out to be some kind of modern day hippie, some kind of guru, some kind of philosopher on par with Buddha and other religions, forget about it. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. Come in the flesh to dwell among men, to be crucified for your salvation. That is the Jesus you are being invited to believe upon. If you've never committed yourself to Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation for you. If you will but believe and take Him as your own, Lord and Savior, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the inerrant Word of God. This is the Jesus that I am taking. Not a Jesus that I pick and choose. I think he said this. I don't think he said that. The real Jesus, the whole Jesus, the whole Christ, Savior and Lord. I take his commandments and I take his comforts. I take his precepts and I take his promises. You have to have the whole Christ or you will have none of Christ. No Jesus that I take as a Savior, as a get out of jail card, in the end, and I live like I want. No, no, no. That's popular in the South, but not in this church. We confess Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. That means he has the right as king to tell us what is right and what is wrong and how you will live. And listen, his... Precepts are, are, are easy. His yoke is light. He's not a burdensome tyrant. He is a gentle savior. He, he is somebody who, who, as I prayed, will not snuff out a smoldering wick. He's not a hard taskmaster. He will not break a bruised reed. He cares about people who are struggling in their spiritual walk, who are suffering. But he's not going to compromise the righteousness of his father. So beware of wandering away from the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a good shepherd. Go to the shepherd sheep. Go to the shepherd. Hear his voice in the preaching of his word. What is the shepherd saying? He's saying, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will what? I'll give you rest. The shepherd is calling his sheep, and the Spirit of God works through that general call of the preached word effectually among his elect. And so you may be here and you thought, man, I have never had any interest in religion in my life. I've never been interested in the church. I've never been interested in the Bible. But there's something that is about this message that I feel a tug in my life, on my will, on my emotions, on my thinking. I am think. I am hearing the call of Christ through the preaching of the word to follow him. Jesus said to Levi, get up, Levi, come out of your tax collector booth and follow me. And Levi got up, and that may be some of you. You need to get up and get out of the tax booth and follow Jesus Christ. John, Peter, James, drop your nets and follow me. Drop your nets. Don't try and bring those nets in the fish with you. No, drop your nets and follow me. Follow me, says Jesus Christ. Some people want to say, oh Lord, I want to follow you, but please let me bring my net. No, drop your net. Follow Christ. Follow all of Christ. Follow Christ fully, heartily. Be willing to give up any and all things for Christ. Count the cost. I think you'll find what you gain is far superior To anything, any net you may drop. Beware also of being captivated by vain philosophies that are out there. Watch out for these so-called life coaches who are trying to convince you to live your best life now. These TED Talk gurus These CEOs who may have been successful in business but they have a terrible world and life view and they think that they are authoritative on every subject simply because they made a lot of money. Forget about them. Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, they may be great men in business but they do not know anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't get your life advice from those men. Get your life advice from Christ. All those men have divorced their wives. Don't be as them. Seek first the kingdom of Christ and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Thirdly, Don't let other things in this life choke out your love for God and His Word. Don't let all the other, even lawful, good blessings of God, sway you from making God and the Word your priority. If you are too busy to read your Bible, you're too busy. You're too busy to get in your prayer closet and pray. You're too busy. You need to look at your schedule. You need to look at your goals and you need to start calling something. Your kid is not probably going to be a professional athlete. (laughs) You may have to give up the traveling team. You may have to give up Certain things you may not be able to do all that your neighbors are doing and still follow Christ. You may, like Jacob, have to limp a little bit. You remember Jacob wrestled the angel of the Lord, and the Lord touched his socket, and for the rest of Jacob's life, Jacob had to walk with a limp. And think about, every time somebody saw Jacob for the rest of his life, they noticed that limp, didn't they? Pharaoh noticed that limp of Jacob when he, Jacob was later introduced to Pharaoh as, when Jacob was an old man. He must have inwardly thought, that man has a limp, doesn't he? It stood out to him. You may have to look like you have a limp, You may not be able to walk like this world because of your duties as a Christian. You may have to look odd that you don't let your kids watch all the latest Disney stuff. You may have to look odd that you keep your computer in the kitchen so that there's accountability going on. You may have to look different. You may have to limp in the eyes of the world. The world may notice you have to limp, but that is what a faithful walk with Christ may have to look like for you. Don't let all the other things out there choke out your love for God. The Bible says that the seed was sown in soil and it it sprang up, but there was a problem. There was not enough weeding going on in the garden And other things competing for our influence. The love of other things. And these are not necessarily sinful things. An inordinate love for other things began to compromise the fruitfulness. And the word was aborted. Also, Jesus warns us, beware of neglecting the gospel and drifting away because things get hard. Jesus has promised us there are many trials and temptations. Many trials and temptations in this life. This life is difficult, boys and girls. If you haven't already experienced it, God will. God tends to ease his children into the deep end slowly through the shallow end. But one day you're going to be in the deep end. I guarantee it. One day you're going to have to tread water. The Christian life is not always getting to stand in the comfort of the shallow end. There will be days of tribulation, days of trials, days of waves, days of difficulty and sorrow and grief. Don't let those hard times cause you to get a hard heart. Those are to be goads to the Lord when life gets hard. Those are goods that we need to pray all the more to get us through these seasons. The Bible says Jesus has warned us that some seed was sown and it sprang up quickly. But as soon as things got hard, as soon as there was persecution, as soon as there were difficulties, we don't know. America may turn against the church one day. We don't know. And it may become very hard for us as Christians. You may have economic loss Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you may lose your job because you can't get on board with this LGBTQ stuff. And your company says, listen, you've got to sign off on this, or you're unemployed and you will be unemployed. You may suffer economic loss. Jesus says here, we need to recognize that may be a part of the cost of following Him. Don't let it cause you to drift. And then finally, do not let the love of money or desire for other things cause you to lose your love for Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, Demas drifted from the Lord, having loved, Paul says, this present world. God has given you so many good things to enjoy, but you you enjoy them under Christ. They lead you to Christ. Christ. One buddy, somebody once said, you know, they, they were praying before the meal and, and they prayed something along the lines, Lord, all this food and Christ too. All this blessing and Christ too. It's to lead the blessings on your plate are to lead you to Jesus Christ. And that's true of every good thing.